Hi, everybody. My name is Jared Norad. I'm the founder of Movie Karma. We're the nonprofit organization here in the United States that created our podcast, Rewriting Hollywood, focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, as well as representation and social impact in Hollywood. Really looking at the power of storytelling and how it can be a force for social change and for social good around the world. Uh, and today I'm excited to have another uh, very special guest joining us uh, who is Oscar nominated for his film, A uh, House Made of Splinters. Uh, his name is uh, Simon Lorang Wilmont. It's a powerful uh, film, a documentary that really looks at children and staff in a, in a special kind of home in, in Eastern Ukraine, a, a place where children who have been removed from their homes while waiting uh, court custody decisions in the midst of ongoing war and conflict around them. Um, I know Simon's been working with in this part of the world and on this issue for many, many years. And so uh, in light of, of course, what's been happening in Ukraine and, and, and nearby Russia and that region, I'm excited to talk to him and hear, uh, of course, how everything is going there in, in, in terms of the folks that he worked with, but also hear about his work and what drew him to this project. So, um, Simon, it's a real honor having you on. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So to dive right in, um, Simon, um, tell us a little bit about your background. I know you're, you're yourself an award-winning filmmaker. Your last project, The Distant Barking of Dogs, was obviously connected to this uh, to this theme, this part of the world, um, working with children. Um, what inspired you backing up before that to, to become a filmmaker and specifically why were you interested in, in documentary filmmaking? Well, uh, from very early on, I got totally in love with, uh, with photography uh, and I thought that I was going a completely different direction. So I started university and, and actually got a, a bachelor in Japanese but, but while doing the Japanese, uh, we had to do a course, one year course that didn't have anything to do with Japanese at all. And because I was late, the only thing that was left was visual and audiotive anthropology. And mm -hmm. there, you know, that's when they introduced me to documentary filmmaking. And I, I lost my heart to, to it because it's, it's so much larger than life. It's, it's larger than fiction. You can do things, things happen in documentaries which you would find improbable in fiction, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That you want to expect and maybe couldn't script as well as you, uh, as they happen. Uh, so what was that early journey for you? Like after you fell in love with documentary filmmaking, Simon, like, did you start making shorts, you know, documentary shorts? Did you like, how did you start getting into the, into that space? Yeah. At that point in time, cameras weren't, was something very precious. And so mm -hmm. was the editing's, uh, uh, stations I'm that old you know so uh, uh, it was quite a hassle uh, getting your hands on it you had to beg borrow and steal uh, yeah. to be able to make stuff uh, so that's what you did and and uh, yeah usually in the beginning it was it it took a while before I started uh, you know venturing into to feature length uh, documentary it wasn't until after film school Wow. Okay. And and then to get your first, you know, fully funded documentary made or to, to, to be able to do that first bigger project where you're able to get, you know, mentors or funding from, uh, I understand you're, you're overseas. So for American audiences, you know, there might've been some different uh, resources, hopefully that you were able to access, but what was that like? How did you go about that? Well, the 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 Danish uh, film system is 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 a very privileged one, to be honest. And once there's so few of us of us who actually 
comes out from film school every second year it's only six uh directors wow. so so obviously we have kind of like a, a good a way into making films because we have the danish film institute uh which uh, supports you know documentaries also and in various stages so there's different sizes of which which you can apply for and that's usually how you get a, a project running yeah it's something i've been advocating for here in the u.s I and mean, we just met, met with some canadian filmmakers who are oscar nominated who you know had their their work funded by their national film board and um so it sounds like you were able to really get those those early days early resources from that from that publicly funded i imagine resource exactly and then you as as your idea develops and you find your characters that's when you know the responsibilities and the asks for more money you know that that become a little bit more difficult and that's usually also when you have to go out into the world the us or 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 europe or other places to to start uh, talking to commissioning editors and to piece you know this quilt of a budget together which a uh, a feature length documentary film is Right. And then from there, you have to obviously bring all those pieces together, get it fully funded and get it and, get, and then make it. Uh, so so still still not easy, but maybe you had some hopefully some support there to do it. Yeah, no, uh, I was so lucky. So I started in in Cinebio something and Joshua Oppenheimer's uh, company, Final Cut for Real. And, and you can probably imagine they're really well connected. So the commissioning editors I guess I don't know, but I would guess that they lent them a little bit of an extra year when when they present projects. Uh, so me and Monica were we were fairly well greeted from the very beginning, actually. That's fantastic, yeah, and, and hopefully inspiring to, to to younger filmmakers listening to this about um, you know finding your path by by any means that you can. Um, let's talk about how you got into this topic specifically because. I know your last project, The Distant Barking of Dogs, was deeply connected to the similar region here in, in eastern Ukraine and working with children and who were affected by conflict and war there, even before, obviously, the most recent invasion by Russia. Um, tell us a little bit, if you would, um, Simon, about how this topic or this part of the world interested you. Like, what was that process like for you? Honestly, it's because before the disembarking of dogs, which was my previous film, before that film, I had made uh, two short documentaries for kids about kids. And when I was done with these two films, you know, I took a step back and I looked at them and it occurred to me, you know, both of these films are about a, 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 a child who has a very safe world and that world is not temporarily out of balance and they're trying to get, you know, that safe world back again and it 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 dawned on me there were so many conflicts going on at the world at that time and point in time uh and i i started thinking so much about if you if you're in a, a child in a conflict zone you must have the exact opposite world where where your everyday life is full of of uh, uncertainty and maybe even physical danger so so where do you go to find that comfort which i feel you need to grow up as a, a, a person without too many scars on on uh, on on your soul, and that's what led me to Ukraine in 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 the very beginning. Interesting. So you were drawn to 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 this. Um, it sounds like. And and what did you learn? I mean, those earlier days of even making your last project, disembarking the dogs. What were what did you start to learn about how children do? 
cope with or experience their lives in these conflict zones because i think what you're what you're alluding to which we've seen in your projects is you know children's ability to find beauty and joy in places that we as adults maybe would not be able to find what what, what did you start to see or notice one of the most magical things to discover is exactly that kids are super good at at uh, at making their lives interesting and and magical uh it, despite you know hard hardcore circumstances surrounding them uh, uh as as long as they're allowed to stay uh children or the adults around them uh stay at least in the semblance of control they can they can be scared also but they should never show it to kids and also they should be very honest with the kids this creates that kind of comfort that lets the child maneuver in this world and and what happens when the war suddenly comes in and shatters your little you know almost soap bubble of a beautiful world you know you live through it uh, hopefully your 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 caretakers can 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 shield you from the worst of it but 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 the beautiful part actually is afterwards when the war has has you know has gone away again uh, they are the quickest to start building up that that uh, bubble of normalcy and that bubble of childhood again and i thought that's so inspiring yeah the ability to bounce back somehow and to find um even yeah levity or joy again or magic again and you said it's pretty incredible that that children seem to have that ability why did, why did you feel like you were drawn to, to specifically focus on children was it because in part of those qualities that kids have or did you did part of you also feel i mean to some extent as i feel maybe a lot of folks feel that children in war zones and conflict zones don't get enough attention i mean it, it just seems like we at least the media tends to focus in the u.s on you know the kind of uh uh chessboard if you will of sort of who's in, who's invading who who's bombing who what's going on but not really thinking about the the children or the lives that are being impacted that's a really good question I'm not sure I can answer it like, mm -hmm. uh, um, but uh, to a full, but yeah. part of it is was i was I was really fascinated by the how you, as a young uh, uh, not fully grown person, how do you perceive something as adult as a war going on in your backyard, you know, in how how do you how does it register in your world, and what are your feelings and thoughts about it? Uh, um, I think that point of view, that that innocence looking at something really uh, uh, scary and trying to deal with that, I think that's a, a very dramatic and, and a very uh, uh, drawing story. Yeah, it is. I mean, how, 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 how do they, um, as very young people, manage that? So in the, in the latest film, A House Made of Splinters, we see, um, you know, sort of set in this kind of provincial town in eastern Ukraine, we, we see this, in, these kids in this institution where they're already from unstable households, like something's already happened at home where they have parents who can't care for them or a parent who can't care for them. And they're sheltered here in this space in this institution for up to nine months, as it's sort of like their future is being decided and what happens next. So what, what was that experience like for you? And what, what was the story that was emerging as you started to sort of film these kids in this environment, um, particularly with this film? Um, what became apparent to me uh, throughout the course of this film was, you know, 
how uh, the the long term much more invisible but no less no less dire consequences that having a war in your backyard does to a society you know when when you're living with a war so close to where you live the first thing that happens and what's going to happen for the next uh, large amount of time is that all resources all resources slowly drain from this area and that's both financial financial but also emotional uh, you know um um you know businesses shut down people lose their job they have no savings they're poor in the beginning and now they're even more poor you know there is no way to go you can't just uh, up and go anywhere um so you're kind of stuck there and at some point in time you know even even the strongest might even start to have one beer too many and all of a sudden you're addicted or maybe even uh maybe uh, your your the father of of your children is too violent and uh, you know tensions rise it's people you know um and it's always in the end it's always the children that suffers they are the ones that are taking uh the 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 biggest of 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 the pain in the end Right. There's kind of maybe ironically or, you know, essentially carrying the, the, the as you said, kind of the, the heaviness and, and the burden of, of a lot of this. Um, and these kids, particularly who are just dis were displaced already and then they're displaced again. Um, and, and in terms of finding your subjects here, I understand there are certain children that you I think you've said you were kind of drawn to or you felt like you you wanted to tell their story specifically. What what about them, Simon, like drew you to that, those kids specifically? And, and, you know, why did you want to tell certain, because I imagine you had to kind of select um, who you wanted to follow and, and why was, what, why, why do you think that unfolded in that way? Mm, uh, it, it's mostly also in the beginning, it, it starts with that they're also curious as to who me and my Ukrainian assistant director is, you know, are yeah. they curious, are they open minded, are they like uh, up for, 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 for new, um, what do you call it, impressions uh, and the wind from the, uh, from the outside and from foreign countries. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, but with with for example Yeva, what what uh, what kind of made me start to look a little bit more on her was partly her eyes who, which could you know contain so much joy and but also so much sorrow and i i kept noticing that she was doing those cartwheels you know uh, even though if she was happy she did them if, if she was sad it she did them but it seemed to have different uh um reasons behind yeah. for it mm -hmm. uh, she was like cartwheeling her way out of sorrow or she was cartwheeling because she couldn't contain her joy and that kind of like made me start to to look a little bit more at her with Sasha it was uh, in the beginning because she reminded me to be honest about my younger cousin uh, but also because when she came to to Margarita's shelter um she, as opposed to a lot of the other kids I'd seen come in, was not uh, uh, see, that didn't seem terribly uh, afraid or terribly sad, but more struck with wonder, like she was walking in her own little world, really curious as what is this place, you know, ready to to discover it. And I, she felt so strong, but also like a contained little world 
which wasn't letting anybody else in. And um, and then, of course, Kolya, <laughs> uh, he reminded me of a lot of my friends and the guys that I had hung out with when I was his age, you know, guys that are maybe a little bit hoodlums, uh, but yeah. you know for sure that that you're going to be on adventures with them. And there are always something interesting <laughs> going on when 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 you're hanging out. Yeah, there is some shit. And that, oh, yeah. sorry. And that actually also mm-hmm. contrasted with, you know, the tenderness and and the love and the care that he he would show the next moment towards his two younger siblings i thought that that contrast was was so fascinating yeah it really is and you get sort of yeah all these early sides of these emerging young people um kindness but also like you said kind of shenanigans and the playfulness and kind of everything in between um and and so like as you were um you know in this in this physical location i i, I saw you said with your last film even you know you kind of it, it almost sounded like you were describing it as there's a sense of, of of serenity or quietness at first and then you realized you know oh there's there's this is an actual conflict you know it's definitely a conflict zone like there are there are it's dangerous it's it's scary um like talk about just the the physical um I, I guess dangerousness or safety issues that come up with not only you filming there but also for these children i mean what was their what was that daily experience like honestly uh, the, the 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 margarita shelter is located at that point in time it was located 20 kilometers from the front line and the front line wasn't moving so much okay good yeah you 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 would hear the the cannons on clear days uh, like a strange thunder on a summer morning, you know, uh, but 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 not so that you would get scared about it. And and a lot of these kids has has long, you know, been used to 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 these sounds. So for for most part of them, if they don't change the sounds, they don't really register them anymore. And uh, the same with the society around them. Uh, so. So in this film, as opposed to my previous film, the war was not so much present as a as a, a brutal, constant force that would interject into their lives. Good, yeah, and it's interesting to hear that you were you were um, aware of it, but not not immersed in it. I understand, of course, that the war did come um, to, to this to this region, of course, um, with the Russian invasion. And you, I understand, heard from, you know, from the community and the staff you were working with when this occurred, that there was an evacuations that occurred um, and increased hostilities were happening, of course, and as the invasion unfolded. What what was that experience like for you? I mean, as I think you described that you couldn't, you obviously were not there when that occurred. Um, So I imagine that must have been a bit of a strange experience. And uh, although you wanted to help as much as you could. Yeah, the 24th of February was a nightmare. Uh, there's so many people I know uh, in the eastern part of Ukraine, and obviously uh, it's frustrating not being able to to be there and be able yeah. to do anything, you know. Uh, and I was keep getting texts from all over, you know, this one is okay, this one is probably not okay, and 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 it 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 didn't take long though before somebody, you know, let me know that that very early in the morning, the kids had been put on trains and had been uh, ridden uh, westwards. But that journey lasted three days 
which would normally be a one-day journey because the train had to stop because of shelling along the way. So I can't imagine how how horrible and how terrible that that journey must have been for the kids. Uh, but they got to the western part of Ukraine and even further into Europe, some of them, and and they're safe now. So so we can count our, ble- our blessings on that one. Hmm. Did that spark in you? Because it's always something I wonder with documentary filmmakers, particularly, I mean, the same question might be asked of journalists or others in terms of what you feel like your responsibility is to the lives and the subjects that you, you know, are, are, are working with. In this case, obviously, children who are particularly vulnerable. How did that, did, did, did what hap- ultimately happen and the your kids being evacuated and um, their lives at risk, did that affect how you see documentary filmmaking or your responsibility within this work? It, it's impossible for us, both me and, and the rest of the Ukrainian crew, I think, not to to become very close to these kids and not want and and not wanting to do something for them so we had actually before the war came we had actually set up a super good system which was working actually Mm. really good results where we had employed two psychologists that would be available for the kids if they wanted to talk at any point in time and they were actually reaching out talking to the psychologist but obviously, with a full-scale wall breaking out in the country, this system is struggling, you know. And it took us some time. And, and it was, I have to credit, you know, uh, Lena and Asad, my two Ukrainian uh, colleagues, uh, they made a, an amazing work uh, in, in reestablishing this system. And they're actually now running an NGO, which is straight taking care of all vulnerable kids in, in Ukraine. And we've been trying to get as much funding for, for their organization as possible. That's amazing. Yeah, I would love to see how, you know, if you want to share that, that information, let us see how we can we can promote that. Um, what do you think on that point is... is um, I mean, there's so much I imagine, but is remarkable about uh, particularly the Ukrainian culture, the Ukrainian ethos. I mean, it, I think the world, myself included, has been so struck by the strength and uh, and the fortitude with which the Ukrainian people have responded, including children, of course, that are there to something that is, I mean, from our perspective, of course, entirely unprovoked, undeserved, and 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 downright cruel that that the Russian invasion has brought on. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is there something that is is in the so in the water, so to speak, there that that just gives it a certain a certain fortitude to to the people there? I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think the the Ukrainians I know are super strong people. They're used to adversity and they're used to overcoming adversity also. And one way, at least, I, that's my personal point of view of how they do this is they're very good at making jokes and making light. Of, of 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 what troubles them to sort of as a coping mechanism and it helps them to get over it and to you know to do something about it uh, you know tomorrow right uh, so yeah this is super strong people and i'm sure 